It's here in the city. It's here in the city. This is here in the city. This is here in the city. I'm Sarah Harris. I'm Sarah Harris. New message. Truth should be truth. But then it depends on, in the telling, whose truth is it. We're here most Tuesdays, bringing you radio realities from the urban landscape and mapping the city with voices of creative social change in and around Los Angeles. On Pacifica Radio, powered by the people, thanks to the generous support of you, our listeners, the capable crew at KPFK, the innovators of web-based radio at SoundCloud, news you might have missed at newsdesk.org, and the community-funded reporting project, Spot Us. You can find us on the web at here in the city. That's H-E-A-R in the city.org. Good afternoon, KPFK listeners, and to those of you listening to our show on the web. Today is Tuesday, October 4, 2011. I'm Sarah Harris, and I am thrilled to bring Here in the City back to the radio space today. In honor of our one-year anniversary on Here in the City, we bring you a show that is about protest, performance, and prayer in the public space. Our show, as you know, is dedicated to mapping the city through conversations with people working toward creative social change in and around Los Angeles. And in that spirit, we are checking in with Here in the City's technical producer, Albert Chacon, who is also a participant and observer in the protest movement of the moment, Occupy Los Angeles, the big, peaceful sit-in in front of City Hall in downtown Los Angeles. I showed up at around 7 that day, um, last Saturday, October 1st. Maybe 2,000, the crowd 3,000. There's a lot of people there. Um, I don't know. I saw a lot of the um, headlines on the news. I saw a lot of the pictures. It was really wonderful to see a lot of people there, a lot of young people too, which is really good. From everything that I can see in mainstream media, it seems like it's completely being received as a peaceful nonviolent, creative action with what's developing to be a clear message. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, one thing that I really liked is that it's completely like mellow and peaceful. Everyone's all about keeping the peace. Um, it, it feels like kind of like a community because you have neighbors, like when we're there camping, um, people ask if you have water or if you have something. And then, you know, in return, they'll, they'll be like, oh, I'm going to the store. Do you need anything? And it's like, it's really nice to have that, especially when it's something like positive, like this movement. This is what the revolution looks like. This is what the revolution Like there's cars driving by every so often. We have signs that say, you know, like something like honk if, you know, you're for a movement. And people know already and they've heard about it. So um, for me, I've been laying down um, inside a tent and I hear like cars and and we've been um, sleeping on the sidewalk at around 10.30. We have to move from the lawn to the sidewalk because of, of trespassing laws and things like that. So um, it's very uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, you know, it's the sidewalk. It's kind of cold. Um, 
but you know you'll have people late at night still talking about the movement it's very you know like it's very productive and progressive i mean really what are people talking about as the stars come out if you can see them and the lights go down and you're off the lawn and on the sidewalk at night it sounds like people are discussing like what ifs like you know say the police come or you know we don't know what's going to happen because we've been pretty like okay with the cops they haven't given us any problems what's the message what's the message that we want change we demand change i mean there's a lot of things going on with money that we don't even know what's happening and the public's not being you know informed of and it's it's you know it's the people need to know what's going on and i think it's sad that we don't know I just heard an interview with the two representatives, uh, one of Occupy Wall Street and another one of Occupy Boston, and they both sort of agreed that the the clearest message that they could pull from um, a list of, you know, a dozen demands because it's a democratic process. They made very clear it's not like one, you know, group of people is saying we all have to say this and stay on message, but rather what is it that we're really trying to get at. Um, and they said that it's really very simply that 1% of the U.S. population controls 50% of the wealth in this country, and there's something wrong with that. A lot of the messages that have been on our signs are that we are the 99%, and the 1% is you know, the people with money that move everything and create all these rules and everything. And that's not right. We're the majority. We're the people you know, that shouldn't happen. So I, I interviewed one of the first aid people. His name is Rudy. Um, I didn't really ask people for last names just in case they kept wanted to keep anonymous. Um, he was telling me that, like, you know, he felt that it was cool for him to donate, like, his skills. Like, he he said he, um, I don't know if he's a, he has a certificate for this or whatever, but he's there donating Band-Aids to people if they have cuts or, like, making sure people aren't dehydrated. I realized that there's going to be a group of people here and I could utilize my skill set. However, I literally live on, my income is literally less than minimum wage. Don't ask me how I do it, but literally I did the math and I live within, my income is less than minimum wage. So I have a big stake in social economic justice, you know? It's a big part of my life dealing with how to get my groceries every month, you know. I mean, I manage, but it's not easy. It's, you know, at, at times it's quite a struggle, you know. It, it affects um, my interactions with people I know. I'm, sometimes I have to humble myself and ask for a handout, which is not, you know, the easiest thing to do for a man to do, you know. So that's primarily why I'm here and of course you know my concern is that if I'm suffering there are others worse off than me inevitably I mean just down the street you got people homeless you know who would kill to have what we have in here you know but he's there making sure people are safe and that's good to know that there's you know first aid tent there's tents for everything really there's media tents there's um those people there at the media tents they're there all day I don't see them move from that that area at all they're there updating Twitter and updating Facebook and all the you know necessary social networks. Is there a place where people can go if they want to contribute to be able to support somehow? There's um occupyla.org. You can also you can donate on this website if you have PayPal, I believe. You can also um, send emails if you have any concerns or any thoughts or ideas. Um, 
they have a forum there, I believe, and you can also talk to people that are um, in the committees for that because there's committees for everything. It's re- actually pretty organized. Does this come up when you're all talking to each other or when you check in and think about what you're doing and what your strategy is that it is something akin to a sit-in from the 1960s and the civil rights movement? I had one of my friends tell me that last night. He's like, I feel like I'm in the 60s right now or something because <laughs> it, it feels like we're on the edge of something great. You know, something great can happen and, and we're not going to stop until something great and positive happens for everybody. Throughout history, protest and dissident performance in the streets have arguably been the most direct mode of public challenge to political power. In the history of Los Angeles, one collective stands apart in its use of institutional exclusion as material for public art practice. The East Los Angeles Collective, ASCO, was active from the late 60s through the late 1980s. The group is the focus of a retrospective exhibition currently on view at the Los Angeles County Museum of Art. Our arts editor, Jesse Lerner, spoke with the curators of The Elite of the Obscure about why this history is essential to tell now and why it's interesting that it's being told at the Los Angeles County Museum of Art. So, just to start from the beginning, tell us. Who or what is ASCO? Well, who are ASCO are a group of artists originally uh, four, sometimes five, coming out of East Los Angeles in the early 1970s. That was Patsy Valdez, Gronk, Harry Gamboa Jr., Willie Heron, and at times Umberto Sandoval. It's a group of artists that first came together um, out of shared aesthetic and political interests and started working together, uh, drawing together first, working together on on journals, and then starting to do actions in the street. And then as the group evolved, uh, growing, expanding, uh, they would uh, do more traditional gallery shows. touring universities, doing lectures, slideshows, and doing scripted performance art, which is what they were doing until the late 80s when they disbanded. And we're now inside the Broad Contemporary Art Museum at LACMA with co-curator Andine Chavoya. So it was in 1972, a very young artist Harry Gamboa Jr. is walking through the galleries here at LACMA in a story that's now becoming better known and widely circulated. He walks through the galleries with a date and is disappointed to find that there's not one example of Mexican or Chicano art anywhere in the museum's galleries. Somehow finds his way to curator's doors, knocks on the door and asks about that. And is told, he's asked, asked about that apparent exclusion of Chicano art in the public galleries in the second largest Mexican city in the world and is told, Chicanos don't make fine art. 
they only make folk art or they're in gangs. That night, he and two of his colleagues, Gronk and Willie Heron, came to the LA County Museum of Art and sprayed their names in it. They signed it, they tagged it, they marked it with their flat castle. Gary Gamboa, Gronky, and Willie Heron. And came back that morning with Patsy Valdez to pose for the now iconic photograph. So this uh, exhibition kind of begins with that kind of spirit of intrepid, fugitive, and evasive, and sometimes uh, uh, defacement, right? Uh, we begin with those principles and use that as a way to wind through a history of collaboration and experimentation across media that helps us to tell a story, we hope, about conceptual art, about performance art, about the city of Los Angeles, about imagination, and about provocation. There were similar demands coming from the African-American community at that time. Uh, there were similar demands coming from women, feminist artists at that time. So this was a moment in which the county museum was really facing a lot of scrutiny. And I think Osco's gesture was perhaps the most conceptual, the most performative, whereas we had other groups uh, of community supporters kind of coming to the museum and, ask, and making demands in a more traditional way. This was a performative gesture of OSCO, but it was still also um, a demand for representation and accountability. And ultimately it did lead to that because uh, in 1974, LACMA would present a show by Los Four, uh, an, another group that uh, Osco knew and, and worked with. And then a year later, there was a show in 1975 called Chicanismo en el Arte, in which Osco would be included. Uh, you know, we're commissioning uh, some of the key ar core artists to do commissions, and then one of them is going to be off-site in City Terrace. Uh, it's going to be a mural. Um, by Willie Heron in an alleyway in which um, the artist has been painting for over 30 years. He's, he's actually got a, uh, a number of, of murals in this one alley in City Terrace. Um, and he's doing a new mural in which he's taking one of their performances that was called Walking Mural and putting the image back on the wall. So for him, the gesture is kind of dealing with the contradictions of preserving and presenting performance art and ephemeral actions. So he's actually taking that ephemeral gesture and bringing it back to the wall and in some ways kind of memorializing or consecrating it or at least kind of playing with the whole impulse to do that. He offered me synthetic emotions and I gave him my heart. In the following gallery, you'll see how they take this uh, photo, the, the, the sort of um, breaking down the barriers between performance and photography to another level, and that is when they create the genre that they call the no movie. The no movie, if you want to talk about that. The no movies were stage performances made specifically for a camera, but that were meant to simulate cinematic narratives and, and illusions. It was about uh, creating this kind of uh, cinematic sense of glamour 
uh, and living their life kind of cinematographically. The idea was to take their kind of experimentations with performance and with street actions and through different networks of circulation uh, uh, distribute them as kind of false documents. So these were stills for films that had no existence other than the still photograph, but that were posing as if they were um, made by a Hollywood studio production. It's probably uh, one of their most wildly inventive uh, uh, in, uh, genres than their movie. Yeah, I think also we haven't talked about, I mean, we've talked about a sort of heaviness and uh, yeah. intensity of their work, but there was a lot of play, the ludic, uh, the use of camp and glamour and costuming to transform oneself. And they were working all of this on a, on a shoestring budget. Uh, the Gronk talks a lot about the aesthetics of poverty as fueling their work. So they took and, and, and used material that they scrounged from thrift shops. Uh, you'll see in the later galleries how they're working a lot with uh, disposable materials like paper and creating paper sets and paper costumes that they then uh, are part of this moment of you know, creating something ephemeral which then disintegrates. I remember when it was all a matter of fun, then she began to take me seriously. And somewhere along the line, we either fell in love or we simply became addicted to each other. This is what it is. This is what it's going to be. You are listening to Here in the City on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara. 93.7 FM in San Diego. And 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. An archive and a podcast of our shows is at Here in the City. That's H-E-A-R in the city dot org. And at kpfk.org, you can like us on Facebook. If you like. And visit us at our website, hereinthecity.org. And follow us on Twitter. As all arts and social movements do, ASCO changed over time. Curator Rita Gonzalez chronicled that change as part of her research for the arts exhibition, which is also part of Pacific Standard Time. The artists met each other right out of high school. Actually, you know, a number of the artists knew each other in high school and even before. And so as they uh, develop individually and professionally, um, they start going off in different directions by the end of the 70s but you know for the most part still checking in and doing uh, doing things from time to time uh, at the same time uh, Osco the reputation of Osco grows and starts to attract uh, emerging artists emerging performers writers um, personalities really think about it in this in relationship to uh, something like Andy Warhol's cavalcade of performers and superstars so they started attracting all of these interesting people from East Los Angeles downtown different parts of what you could say Mexican American LA and then so they start expanding uh, and actually doing more kind of organized performances, scripted performances, as they get invited up to San Francisco uh, for exhibitions at Galleria de la Raza, 
uh, as they get invited to do performances in the San Joaquin Valley and San Diego um, and in the Southwest. And they're traveling all over. And from year to year in the early 80s, they're kind of changing lineups, but they definitely have kind of a solid group of seven or eight individuals. That includes some of those founding members. So it, it really becomes um, a training ground in some ways for a lot of artists, writers, performers. And it becomes, OSCO becomes more uh, flexible and, and fluid as, as, a, as a construct, as opposed to a quote-unquote collective. And it also seems like the group is not only flexible in terms of the personnel that are involved in different projects, but is also, maybe from the very beginning, very multimedia in their production, right? There's photography, there's Super 8 film, but increasingly there's video production. Painting is always a big part of what they do. Performance. Right. Theater. Right. right. Uh, and, and, and using basically like many artists who were veering into, into conceptual art um, or performance or art that involved uh, the body uh, using pretty much anything that they had on hand uh, to produce uh, photographs, to produce uh, a variety of, of output. And then in addition to work made by the group ASCO, some work documents the actions and performances of the group. So, for example, um, Agnes Varda's Murmurs, is that part of the exhibition as well? Yes, it's part of the exhibition, and uh, the film um, Agnes Varda shot in the early 80s was a, a kind of experimental documentary. She, uh, being a f French filmmaker, definitely coming out of the French New Wave, uh, came to the United States, came to Los Angeles, because of the film connection, she had been coming back and forth to L.A. Her husband, Jacques Demy, had also, and she had lived here for a while. She had made films here. She was really interested in muralism, and she was really interested in this idea of writing an inscription on the wall. And she made this very beautiful film about um, this tradition uh, that's, you know, certainly not unique to Los Angeles, but in the 70s and 80s the mur you know this was really kind of the epicenter of mural production the members are Gronk, willie heron patsy valdez and myself harry gamboa manufacturer of falsehoods and, and osco uh, did a performance in their very you know in their very uh, typical uh, iconoclastic um, rebellious manner uh, instead of showing off a mural that you know one of them had participated in in painting uh, because Gronk and Willie Heron were traditional muralists as well instead they did a kind of a explosion um, and deconstruction of a mural and it was a piece performance piece they called death of fashion in which the mural kind of uh, exploded off of the wall, literally, like pyrotechnically and everything. So that was the piece that uh, Agnes Varda shot. 
Why is East LA burning? Why are Chicanos burning themselves? Why are we burning ourselves? We shall tend to go layer by layer and destroy our own history and create from the ashes. You can find out more about the ASCO show at the Los Angeles County Museum of Art on our website, here in the city. That's H E A R in the city.org. Our show today, on our one year anniversary, is dedicated to performance, protest, and prayer in the public space. And so we will go to the ocean, to the World Festival of Sacred Music. Hi, my name is Johnny Mori. I'm with the Kinata Taika Group, which is based out of Los Angeles. Uh, it's actually based out of the Senshin Buddhist Temple that's located near uh, USC. Um, we are celebrating our 43rd uh, year in playing taiko, and taiko is a Japanese uh, word for drum. And uh, we're part of this World Festival of Sacred Music, which began with, uh, with the uh, festival since its inception, and uh, is held every three years. And this is the, uh, the fifth one, so it's been 15 years since the first one. And it was, began um, in conjunction with the world's uh, Festival of Sacred Music throughout the world, in which is uh, spearheaded with, uh, through the Dalai Lama. And this was the inspiration for uh, this particular festival to, to begin. But we're here to help you know, promote uh, peace through, through music and performance, which I think is a uh, very, very universal uh, concept in terms of communication. We're out here with the Brazilians, uh, the Native Americans, the Pacific uh, Hawaiians, and all the different other ethnic groups that do have some kind of a drumming in it. And because of that, it's, it's, it's a universal way of communication. And somewhere else around the world, there are other performers observing the Festival of Sacred Music? Yes, usually I think other countries throughout the world uh, celebrate uh, very similarly as we do here in uh, North America, but here in Southern California especially. Albert Chacon, Rachel Salmon, Will Coley, Holly Harper, Karen Ness, and to you, our listeners. We will be back next week with more radio realities from the urban landscape. Until then, you can find us on the web at Here in the City. That's H-E-A-R in the city dot org. I'm Sarah Harris. Signing off. To yapping on. When you go in and out, may you have peace and level and safe. Yes. Be safe. Peace.